0: Welcome to the NFL Stock Exchange Podcast. In this episode, it's all about the 2022. NFL scouting combine myself and Connor Rogers are talking everything at the combine major storylines what we're looking to hear from certain GMs and head coaches some players that we're really looking forward to seeing how they test athletically some players that we think are going to come out of nowhere that you're absolutely going to love after this weekend we've also got some fun facts what we're planning on hearing and the questions that we want to get the answers to when it comes to not just the podium sessions but also talking to agents Coaches, scouts, things like that. It is a jam-packed combine episode. I'm Trevor Sicoma. With me, as always, is my co-host Connor Rogers. Let's get after it. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the opening bell of the NFL Stock Exchange podcast. I am Trevor Sikama. That is Connor Rogers. Connor, it feels like it has been months years even yeah. since we have done a podcast together I went on a little bit of a vacation I went on a little bit of a cruise and uh you had to fill two episodes of my absence you then got a little bit of a break right before the combine I had to fill an episode I had John Ledyard on yesterday's podcast on Monday but now we are both back and we had to be right buddy because it is combine week
1: had to do it had to be back for it but glad to see you back safe and sound in the co-host seat my friend glad to see you man i've been excited for us to do a show together again it feels like it has been a long time and i mean what you learn is as you get older like us is you can sneak in a little trip between super bowl and combine (laughs) like for so many years i really only ever go on vacation in in june that's the sweet spot of like (laughs) there's no football there's no draft prep and yeah, I was away for, I was in Arizona for like three days. So it's not like it was that nuts. Um, but man, yeah, we, we pulled it off. And now I, we promise everyone we're all business. But dude, you went on a cruise. It's true. I I, 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 I mean, just give me at least the favorite stop before we dive right back into the football. Here.
0: No, cruise is great. And you mentioned, it's so weird kind of going on vacation at this point in the calendar. You can't ne- fully step away. I've it's never done, I've never done that before, yeah. but like I had to, I had to buy a little bit of Wi-Fi on the cruise because yeah. I'm just sit- sitting here itching, thinking I'm missing like NFL draft news the whole time, but uh went to Cozumel and Costa Maya in Mexico Cozumel is so great. I had actually gone to Cancun for a wedding of a friend of mine's uh, about six, seven months ago. So that was my first time in that area. And so Cozumel, obviously, is the island right across from where Cancun is. And Cozumel was fantastic, man. I loved it. Got to go snorkeling, did a little bit of uh, off-roading on some buggies, if you will. So we got to do that a little bit. And
1: I, I love I love. Co- have you ever been to Cozumel yourself? I have. Uh, I went once and I almost got left in Cozumel. That's my only. You almost uh, got left. I, I almost got left in Cozumel. So like what you, do you mean on, what do you mean you almost was, got left? I was on a cruise and, and this was years ago, many years ago. And I was really, uh, really dumb, not just just normal, dumb. And me and my buddy <laughs> went out like we were on a We were on the cruise and we had like, you know, a ton of his family was there. But me and him were old enough to, to go out and ha- have our own fun. And we get to Cozumel. And it's... I mean, you were just there. Like, you pull up. It's a port. There's shops. Right. And then if you, like, make it past the shops, there's there's places to drink. And it's like, okay, cool. Like, uh, like tequila is new and fun. Like, drinking at the bar. Drinking Dos Equis. Drinking tequila. And before you know it, the ship horn is going off. And I am not out of the bar seat yet. And it's not like you just step out of the bar and you're on the boat. It's like you step out of the bar and you got to get back to the boat. And the boat horn is just going... Bonkers, and, and like we didn't have like there was no this is when like the Wi Fi's is everywhere days like this I, I didn't even have a smartphone oh at this time. Oh my gosh! So, this isn't like like what I swear when we got back on the boat and literally step on the boat and like in thirty seconds it was it was unanchored and pulling away. His parents were just like are you, are, are you kidding me? Like, so, yeah, so I've one one day said, in Cozumel.
0: You said they, they 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 trusted you a little bit. Maybe they maybe they, they shouldn't have trusted you that much.
1: Yeah. So, I, I need like a, a Cozumel redemption. Like I need to go back one time and redeem myself as an adult. Uh, so yeah, my one time You had a really good time in Cozumel. It sounds like you had an adult time in Cozumel. Uh, yeah, my one time in Cozumel I almost spent more more than 3 hours or 6 hours or whatever it was there. Almost got left there. You do. Uh, so yeah, it was really that gave me like a little PTSD when you brought it up. Is that you... the boat horn? <laughs> you do. Yeah. You need a you need a Cozumel redemption trip. Maybe the two of I us do. can
0: can do yeah. a cruise. So maybe <laughs> yes. we, maybe we got to do a live pod. We'll do a live pod from, in Cozumel, Cozumel for the, the people. Yep. And it was oh my god. I... Cruise cruise yeah. horns in the background going off telling us to wrap it up. Maybe that'll actually get us to uh, to go uh, uh, with the, the time schedule that we need to, even though we always go over. So, um, all right, well, I'm, I'm glad that you didn't get left because if you did, <laughs> maybe we wouldn't do, be doing this podcast here. And this episode is going to be a lot of fun, guys. It is Combine Week, as I said, and what Connor and I are going to do here on this podcast is we're going to go through the major storylines that we have for the Combine so far. When you're listening to this podcast on Tuesday, whether it's in the morning, before the podium sessions, maybe during the p- podium sessions in the afternoon, or maybe in the evening, as things are really getting underway in Indianapolis, there's going to be so many big storylines, whether it's questions that GMs and coaches are getting answered or, or who we're trying to see in which drills or, You know who we're going to talk to while we're in Indianapolis, all of this stuff. So much goes into what makes Combine Week absolutely fantastic. So we're going to break down a lot of our top storylines, some players, like the players that we're watching the closest when it comes to the drills and the podium sessions, uh, some fun facts for you, some guys that we believe are going to have some brand new hives, some new fans coming off of Combine Week, all that good stuff. But before we really dive into that, just got to remind people that if you don't have a PFF subscription right now, you can do so. By using the promo code NFLSE and you will get 25% off whether it is an Edge or an Elite subscription. You get all sorts of things with both of them. It's a different price model. Edge is a little bit cheaper. You can see exactly what you get on PFF.com there when you go search the subscriptions. But Elite, man, an Elite subscription gets you so much stuff throughout draft season, fantasy football season, the NFL season, free agency, all of that, man. It gets you, it's the Mac daddy. So go check it out. If you ever thought about getting a subscription, no better time to do it than right now by getting 25% off when you use the promo code NFLSE to support the podcast. Connor, look, Tuesday is when things get kicked off with GMs and head coaches at the podium. And it's one of my favorite things. So I, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it to you to kind of start it off. Where do you wanna go? What head coach or GM are you really looking forward to seeing when it comes to those Tuesday podium sessions to kick off combine week?
1: I think for me, it's it's where the conversation goes with the quarterbacks, right? It, where And that could be a lot of different guys. Like I, before the show, I know you had brought up, like, you know, you look at George Payton, right? It, that's somebody yeah. that it, he's just going to get a barrage of Aaron Rodgers questions. But I think it's even deeper than that is that everybody that is currently overseeing a veteran quarterback where there's even been a peep about a trade rumor unhappiness, anything. That's where all the which is which is ironic because it's at the combine where you're looking at all the players coming into the league. For the draft, and that, right? The, the headliners are guys that have been in the NFL for ten plus years. So that's Aaron Rodgers, that's Russell Wilson, and I, I think the Derek Carr thing has gotten a little out of control in a way. Like I don't really get why the Raiders would go out obviously make the big splash of Josh McDaniels if you're just going to move on from Derek Carr unless this quarterback class was amazing and there was the guy in there so I'm not really sold on that one having a lot of you know wind around it right now but just sticking with Rodgers and Russ and even you know, lesser extent the Jimmy G thing but that's easier to solve because both sides probably want a fresh start I just think when you look at it right now those guys have let this linger so long for a reason, right? And I'm not saying Rodgers is going to move on and Russ is going to move on, but the fact that they have allowed it to linger this long means there's a chance. And when there's a chance, people are going to go into the combine and want to know, can the Broncos pull this off? Is there a, you know, the Bucks? I mean, right now, are the Bucks going... The Bucks are fascinating to me because they're right. are they, you know, oh, we can go get Russ and we can keep this thing churning for a Super Bowl, or is it now... Man, we're we're starting to lose a lot of pieces. We do have a lot of free agents, but we we know how to manipulate the money. What are we in the middle? So to me, it's the contenders and how the veteran quarterbacks impact them. Trevor, that that stands out to me right away.
0: Yeah, and and you know a guy that you didn't mention there that's kind of been creating a lot of noise over the last 24, 48 hours, Kyler Murray, right? Kyler Murray oh, sending goodness, out man. you know his tweet with you know the the, <sighs> the font that you need a, that you need bifocals to just to, oh. to just read it, it right horrible He's...
1: thing to see when you wake up after a weekend of partying and you're just like <laughs> i have I to feel so bad for you i feel this. so
0: bad for you that you partied so much in arizona
1: that you couldn't read kyler murray's uh asking for eight billion dollars yeah. after playing like absolute you know what in the playoffs so, yeah so,
0: so you know the cardinals cliff kingsbury steve Kine, they're gonna have questions to answer a couple of oh, yeah. other guys you know george payton you mentioned him george payton is the very first man at the podium and he's the only one he comes on the podium at noon on tuesday you know if you're listening to this podcast anytime on tuesday maybe his, his podium session has already ended but he is the only guy up there connor you the know john how- snow gif uh, yeah yes yes basically that's how that's what it's going to be it's going to be exactly that john snow gift where he's just pulling out his sword in the battle of the bastards and just taking on an entire army because there's no relief there's no other podium sessions going on and he's the very first guy that's who's it. going to be out there you know it's going to be a ton of aaron Rodgers questions i'm really looking forward to hearing from Matt Eberth as well, really liked mm, his podium session when he was at his press conference, getting introduced as the bears head coach. And he he talked a lot about his philosophy and, you know, the intelligence of football players that he's looking for the effort, but something that also really stood out to me is both him and Ryan Poles, the new general manager, they continued to use the word fast. Now fast and physical, these are adjectives that all good gms and head coaches use to describe a football team that they want but they use the word fast even more than i've heard in the past and so i think that this is going to be a team that's really going to emphasize speed and they're also emphasizing takeaways on defense matt eber said one of his pillars of what he looks for in a team identity is of course taking care of the football, which every head coach will say but he emphasized so much in that press conference how important takeaways are. So guys with ball skills, guys with speed, obviously that's going to mean a lot for Matt Eberflus. And then uh, I would say the other guy that I'm really looking forward to hearing is Kwesi Adafo, the new general manager for the Minnesota Vikings. You highlighted him a bunch when we were going through our ideal head coach GM candidates for a lot of these teams. And you know, his philosophy, I'm looking to hear more from him on what he is trying to build. You know, we talked a lot about in his press conference, Bill Walsh, taking so much away from Bill Walsh and his books and the things that he said. And Um, I don't know if you Connor or anybody out there has, has read the book. The score takes care of itself by Bill Walsh, but I read that a couple of years ago and it's, it's a book that is filled with reminders that Walsh said that I just stuck with my process and not everybody loved it. Not everybody thought it was the best way to do things. Some players I brought on the roster, you wouldn't typically see on a roster, but I believed in what I saw and my process towards it. And obviously it uh, ended with them having a fantastic dynasty. So I think we might see the Minnesota Vikings go against the grain a little bit on some of these players and how they might build out this roster. I'm just looking forward to seeing what more he's going to say at his podium as well.
1: I think it's a great call because guys like that, this is when the process is kind of fun for them because for the first time in their life, they are the individual that has to answer for everything. But right now you don't have to answer really for a lot. I'm sure people will ask him about Kirk cousins, but it sounds like there's a direction there with, you know, uh, O'Connell, that they're gonna, you know, obviously move forward because and see how that goes. And with Adolfo Mensa, you can ask, hey, what what things did you? He was a part of a turnaround for the Cleveland Browns that we had not seen in over a decade. So I think for that right along, you look at it and go, how did you build that ground attack? How did you build a foundation of an offensive line? How how do you scout? You trap. You're part of the crew that helped get. You know, you look at somebody like a Nick Chubb necessarily, or or, or even just what you were a part of in the middle rounds. What are you looking for? Do you value athleticism? How do analytics factor into that versus production? So I think it's great to see how guys at the podium, while they're not going to give away all the secret sauce, at the end of the day, they're going to give you an idea of how they want to build the team and what holes they see within the team. And for a Vikings team that has drafted traditionally solid compared to the rest of the league under Spielman. It is interesting for a team to be entering a new regime, despite them really, they have not blown drafts. Yes. They blew a few picks here and it was time for a new change of scenery. Is this a roster that you feel with a couple tweaks, you can get over the hump or is this a roster that you look at a two year, three year window and you really need to lay a new ground floor, no matter what the quarterback situation is. And I think he'll be transparent in that process.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. The podiums are huge it's a lot of fun to get to talk to these GMs and these head coaches because we, we spend a lot of time speculating, but we get to actually ask them questions and sometimes they answer them. Honestly, sometimes they avoid the answers, but I do think that you get a lot of hints there. Another area where you get hints in Indianapolis are the questions that you get to ask that aren't on TV that aren't at the podium. Oh yeah. Behind the combine curtain is what I'm calling this next section of what we are talking about here on this podcast, because You and I have spoke before, so much of what goes into the importance of Indianapolis are the conversations that happen between GMs, between coaches, between media members, between media members and front office members that happen when you get to be in person in Indianapolis. So, Connor, what is something that you are kind of looking forward to or something that you're going to keep
1: your ears perked up for when it comes to those conversations behind the curtain at the Combine? I mean, just getting out to Indy Trevor is so valuable for so many reasons that go into this process. And for me, it's it's getting FaceTime with people that this might be the only time of the year that I truly get to see them and sit down with them. And these are people that are involved with the interview process. These are people that are involved with the medical process. And they'll tell you, you know, this guy that all then they love saying it like this, this guy that all of you people in the media love having <laughs> as a top 50 pick. It's not going in the first four rounds. And then you go, why? And then. You know, if you have a good relationship with that person after years of doing this, you do have people like that. They'll be like, I, I mean, because of this on the medical or because of this with the character or or this because of scheme. That's very real. Like, hey, he he's scheme-specific to five teams in the league and, and those teams know that, so they're not going to reach on the kind of guy. So I think that, to me, plays into the process of, you know, and uh, the draft fans are always all over this. They, I, when somebody vanishes from the mock drafts or vanishes from the big board. And they're like, why did this happen? And me and Trevor are going to be very transparent on this pod. The answer is if whoever you're asking that is not tweeting back to you in the public is, it's something you're not, you're not supposed to technically know. It's not supposed to be made public info. And that could be a really bad medical. That can be a really bad interview process. That could be a really bad, you know, background fit culture thing, whatever it may be. But that's your answer more often than not if there's a guy that you've seen in the first round the entire year and then after the combine he's getting no first round love he's not getting much second round buzz unfortunately and this is a crappy part of the the business something went wrong that you did not see on the television that you did not see in football games and it's going to answer your question so that to me trevor is a is a big one guys falling from the mock drafts for no reason right yeah, there is yeah. a reason. There is always a reason I think uh, the second. That, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think the biggest
0: example for that is cave Thibodeau, right? I mean, we we've we've talked about Bingo. this before on this podcast and cave Thibodeau was the unanimous number one overall prospect and You know, I kind of, certainly when Aiden Hutchinson started playing really, really well, Heisman caliber season that he had, you know, you have some offensive linemen who started to play really well. The big three, Evan Neal, Ikiakuanu, Charles Cross, right? When those guys start playing well, okay, now maybe they're in the conversation for number one overall. And what started as like a, hey, you know, maybe it's not Kayvon Thibodeau, no matter what at number one, these other guys are also pretty good, but now we're seeing Kayvon Thibodeau, like firmly not number one like there's a lot of mock drafts yep. who just don't have him at number one there's some mock drafts that don't have him in the top three and so that I don't think came out of nowhere and I am really interested in the conversations that I'm gonna have with some of the people in the know to be like okay what's, what's, going, on? On? what's, what's going, going on what's the with on right yeah, I mean like I want to know yeah. And some people, you know, look, he had the interview that came out where he talked about wanting to make as much money as possible and being kind of flashy in that regard. I don't That's not really, enough. I don't really yeah. care about that. You know what I'm saying? No. And, and, it, and if I go to Indianapolis, and if that's the worst that I hear about Kayvon Thibodeau, I'm going to be like, all right, you guys are out of your mind. This guy's still going top three at worst. He's something like that. Like, I just, that can't be it. It's got to be something else. So that's, those are the things that we're going to try to have those conversations be able to relay things back with you, what we can here on this podcast and kind of give you guys a little bit of insight into what might be happening because um, I don't know if he was the first person to ever say this, but he was the first person that I ever heard say this. Daniel Jeremiah, he says that big boards, they're done with your eyes mock drafts they're done with your ears right Mm -hmm. mock drafts are always what you are hearing what you think the league is going to do what you're hearing from all your sources everywhere big boards that's where you use your scouting eye to really figure that out so we're at the part of the year where mock drafts are going to start to become exclusively just what you think is going to happen, not just what you believe should happen. And you're going to have to differentiate between those two, as we will here on this podcast. What's the
1: other one? I didn't mean to cut you off, but what's another no, one? No, no, I'm glad you did. Cause you and I love KT. So we're kind of sitting She's here great, like man. almost bothered by this. I mean, this is one, this is a player that is a stock exchange consensus, number one edge pass rusher, and you know, could end up our number one players, each of us. So it, it's, it's fascinating. And it's a headliner at this combine. The second one for me is, I am very excited to watch the, and they're just doing their job, so good for them, the agent hype war begin on this quarterback class. Oh, we yeah. Are, oh, I mean, yeah. Right now, there is no quarterback that is a consensus top 10 pick. It is. You could see Kenny Pickett in there. You could see Malik Wilson there. You could see Matt Corral in there. You could see no one in there. And now you have the NFL bubble, media, agents, teams, teams, trainers the whole thing the whole thing trevor they're all gonna be at indy they're all gonna be all right i mean put in context right here a couple years ago i won't give the specific year i don't want people playing the guessing game i i was in indy and i had an agent come up to me and this back in the stick to football days and he said to me hey man like you guys are too low on so and so like my guy so and so and it was a quarterback client he had and I was like, oh, really? I was like, you know, I, I thought I liked the guy, like, more than most people. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, he's going in the top 50. And I was like, oh, all right, then good for him, whatever. And, you know, the, uh, people associated with him, we all saying that. And the guy goes undrafted. And <sighs> and, and that that kind of hurt me because I, I don't – when he said that to me, I didn't move the guy up. I will never do that. Uh, unless you point out, hey – you are missing this in your evaluation, go back and watch. Then I will, and I'll tell you if I was wrong or if I was – I think I'm right. That's the kind of stuff, though, that goes on like Napalm at the Combine, and some people really do buy into it. Some people really do go – what if, if the teams do love the interviews? What? And sometimes these guys really do get go up the boards. Teams start to think, oh, my God, what if that team really likes him, but we really like him, Well, we really liked him in the second round at pick 47 – but now we might have to move up from 47 into the back end of the first round. So the the hype war on this quarterback class, because it's such an even field, you could make... People are arguing for Howell. People are arguing for Ritter, the three guys I said. It is going to be insane on social media and in the media in general this year, and maybe even between those teams. Uh, as much as we don't really love this quarterback class, all takes a little hype.
0: Yep. No, I mean, you're totally right. You're totally right, man. We've got five or six quarterbacks in this class that all have some sort of claim or believe they have some sort of claim to the QB one throne. And I think that you're right. You're going to see a lot of quarterbacks doing a lot of public interviews, trying to make the best face. You're going to see a lot of agents working very hard to make sure that their guys get in the best pub. And man, we felt a little bit of that in Mobile, right? A lot when of When everybody <laughs> was talking about Malik Willis and everybody yeah. was like, oh, Malik Willis, what a fantastic week. And I'm like, are we watching the same event? Are you guys seeing something different? Because I, again, I, I don't mean to repeat myself because I know everybody who listens to this podcast heard it, but Malik Willis, was fine like I think that Malik Willis might have been the best of the bunch but not this like oh Malik he's for sure I mean for sure first rounder this the Steelers are going to trade up for him from 20 they're going to trade into the top 10 for him to make sure they go get their guy I'm like man y'all are y'all are taking this way too far and I think that it only gets multiplied when you get to Indianapolis as one of the last quote-unquote last occasions where you get a lot of people who have a lot of influence a lot of power and a lot of sway on social media with the, with the fans think everything like that. And yeah, I think that you're, you're definitely going to see some of those takes like that. We are going to do our best to make sure that we sift through it. Not from, not only just from what we hear, but also reacting to what other people are hearing as well. So we're going to try to bring you guys the
1: truth, if you will, when it comes to our post Indianapolis yeah. podcast. The, the last thing on that too, is even the the craziest part of all of it is all these teams that want to trade out of the top 10. They'll, Ignite the flame because they'll try to trick teams sure. that they yeah. got to jump the commanders, that they got to jump the Broncos, that they got uh, like they're trying to scare the Steelers of the world. They're trying to scare the New Orleans Saints of the world that might like a quarterback or might not. You're going to hear so much. And this isn't judgmental at all, but local media will run with that kind of the, the trade right. kind of. And right. there's nothing wrong with that at all. But it's just it's the reality that some is real. A lot is fake. And that's why this, this is the best time of year. I mean, honestly.
0: It's, I mean, it's when the imagination runs wild for sure. All right. So let's move on. Next, next little section, next little category of this year podcast preview and combine. Things that don't really matter, but people believe they do. So what it sounds some, like a Jeopardy category. It, it does. It does. It <laughs> sounds like it does. It sounds like I'm reading the card and you've got to guess it here. So Connor, what are some things <laughs> of the Combine that don't really matter that a lot of people think do matter?
1: man offensive tackle arm length and here's the thing it will matter to some teams a lot mm-hmm. and it can matter off carolina
0: panthers caught There you go
1: <laughs> if a guy has short arms and he has limitations in pass protection because of his arm length then that's okay but just because a guy has short arms does not mean he has limitations in pass protection and i think A lot of teams learned this the hard way last year with Rashawn Slater. Mm -hmm. And there's more examples than Rashawn Slater. I'm just using the most recent one, especially after the rookie season he had. But when did you watch Rashawn Slater on film and go, oh, those short arms, he's getting getting beat a lot. I just, I think you're going to hear... There's going to be a tackle in this class, and I'm not sure who it is. yet. Yeah, there's going to be a tackle in this class that, that doesn't meet the old threshold. And, you know, usually it's, you're looking in that 33-inch kind of range and, you know, go above or under. And there's going to be someone, and everybody's going to go, oh, that's it. He's playing guard. And I think that's a poor process. I think if you said, well, on film, I did see that affect him a lot. Maybe this is why he has to play guard. But I, I just think people should be very cautious with with tackle arm length, and if you didn't learn that last year, or, and I'm talking to NFL teams, not people in the media, because they are the ones that have these old school scales uh, that are that are just dated right now, and it's 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 got to be better. Here's one that I, I
0: think I think some people care a lot about this, and it just truly doesn't matter at all. I like
1: this one when I saw
0: literally it. anything quarterbacks do this week i i i don't care i don't care i don't care what their 40 time is i don't care what their three their their three cone is i don't even care if they throw right a big a big splash in the news on monday of this week was that matt Crowell was not going to throw at the combine <sighs> How dare he is? He's scared to compete. What's going on? He can't still be hurt. Who care? I don't care how a quarterback throws at Indianapolis at the combine. What matters is how they can operate within an offense, how they take pressure. I mean, like you are putting a guy back there who has no pads. Who's wearing the fancy skin tight under armor stuff. No coverage. No, no pressure in the back of your head. Nothing's on the line. You're not operating on a down and distance. You're just throwing routes versus air. I don't care about that. It doesn't sway me at all whatsoever. So I don't really care about the athletic testing. I don't really care about the on the field drills. Interviews, I suppose, matter for quarterbacks. But the most important part about interviews is the behind the scenes one that they do with teams. So being in front of the podium, look, if you if you bomb a, a, a in front of the podium interview as a quarterback, OK, I guess that's a bad sign, but you really shouldn't be doing that anyway. So I do not even expect it. I suppose the only thing I care about with quarterbacks at the Combine, or how big Kenny Pickett's hands are, because that's about all the, do you have catastrophically small hands? That's really all I care about. I guess some of the measurements, obviously like what height Kyler Murray was, but I mean, like, let's face it, people, Kyler Murray was short. We knew that before the combine, we knew that after the combine. And so, you know, that really wasn't that big of a surprise. Did you want to get it confirmed? Yes. I guess some of the measurables are important for quarterbacks, but outside of that, man, the athletic testing, the on the field drills, i don't i i truly couldn't care about it any less and uh honestly if any quarterback doesn't want to throw at the combine that's totally fine to me
1: i love that one i just think that everybody's always looking for something from quarterbacks in a sense of entertainment and it's gotten a little out of control and that's a good way to put it it's an entertainment business and quarterbacks throwing is fun like i I remember last year when, you know, Fields had his pro day, Zach Wilson had his pro day, Trevor Lawrence and, you know, I had the T V on in the office and my eyes are glued to it and it is exciting. But when you step away from it, ninety five percent of it doesn't do anything for them, right? If you you could see them make that rollout throw and, and fire it sixty yards down the field, that is physically impressive and there are moments in your NFL career where you can do that. But overall, Trevor, the quarterbacks, it's just you're, you're okay. just not getting as much from this event for them, right. and, and I'm with right. you. And the last thing I had on here that I think we're getting better at as a whole is running back 40 times. It is, It can help you, but be careful with it hurting you. And, and that is because so many good running backs or adequate running backs are running four sixes, are running four sixes plus. Like Arian Foster ran a four six eight. James Conner ran a four six five. You know, when you look at it, uh, Devin Singletary ran a 4.66. 6. Like, I know um, Josh Jacobs ran in the 4.6s. Like, running backs, just because James Robinson ran a 4.64, 4, just because a running back runs in the 4.6s doesn't really deserve that kind of reaction because you should be evaluating their short area. Look at the three cone. Look at the shuttle. Look at, you know, that 10 yard, things like that, because realistically, Running backs are not getting outside and having to run 60, 50, 40, 30 yards in a straight line. And if they get that opportunity, then, hey, better buy your offensive line and your receivers. Pretty good Christmas gift for giving you that kind of blocking. It's about the short area quickness. The league is moving so much more towards a wide zone. Do you have the short area burst to get to your lane, put your foot in the ground and cut into that lane and have the contact balance to make something happen in the second level of the field? It's because the term running back, people think, oh, is he gonna run fast? But man, it's if I was a running back, honestly, I would not advise to run at the NFL Combine. Just do it at your pro day; it'll help. And I just think people, God, they it's it's just become it just doesn't really matter. If I'm being honest, it really doesn't matter. I think certainly for certain
0: running backs i would i would i would totally agree with yes. you. there there are some that and we'll, we'll actually get to a couple in, in in a minute that that i'll get to for this specific class but some of them you want to see if you can like check the box if you will but i think that people people often have a misconception that like again like you mentioned four six isn't checking the box and yeah. you might like think that's slow, but at the same time, like you got to look at style of play. You got to look at the offense that they might be in. And like size said, there, there is not a lot of opportunities where they're going to be able to quote unquote hit the home runs for you. That just doesn't happen a lot in the NFL. And if it does, you're probably picking this guy in the first round, or at least the NFL is going to pick him in the first round. I guess we could have the, the debate about value a different day, but I do think that that home run aspect of playing running back is a little bit overrated do would you like it yes but yeah i great. wouldn't totally knock a guy as a as a running back if he can't run fast so i do think that i i yeah i i don't think that it's nothing like it doesn't matter but it's yep. certainly not viewed the way that it needs to at least from my vantage point so i definitely would agree with you there
1: now, if they go out and you run like a four six six, and your short area drill suck. Stinks, you, right, right. You have legitimate right. issues. That's yes. the point. I think yes. the 40 as a singular drill, there's a lot of ways to make up for it and still be a really productive runner at the next level. And this kind of goes back to the conversation of why drafting first-round running backs, they need to be a freak show. The Christian McCaffrey's of mm-hmm. the world. And there's just not a lot of those guys. And in this running back class, there's not going to be those kinds of guys, in, right. at least in the testing. Let's talk about three players whose testing we are looking forward to the most
0: that we're keeping our eyes on, if you will. Maybe maybe not like the best. and I want to put it like who do we think is going to have the best overall combine. I, I'm, I'm talking about when this guy comes up to run a certain drill or whatever or, or tests his athleticism one way or the other, which guys do we have under the microscope? Who are three players that you're watching the most
1: or the closest? this week i think for me it starts with sauce gardner because he is truly somebody that has had so much to gain since the season started and he's taken all of it he's like yes this is mine like as soon as Derek stingley got hurt the door was wide open for him to continue to compete and play in big football games and he did he played against alabama in the college football playoff he played well He's going to have the size in terms of length, right? He's got that long, lanky kind of build. He loves to tackle. He loves to come downhill. He loves to play physical and coverage. All he needs to do at the combine, in my opinion, is be an adequate tester, right? Show that you have decent recovery kind of speed and be an adequate tester because the film is so good. The technique is there. The physicality is there. The mindset is there that... And this is kind of the theme of my three players is just don't bomb. Just don't bomb. If you're just (laughs) average, you are not moving anywhere on boards because you've been that good on film, that good in pads. And I think I I put this in because I've seen concern around sauce and I don't have that concern. I think he's going to go in and, and be completely fine at this event.
0: I I think he should, I I don't really, I'm not, I'm not really too worried about Soskana, but I do think it's important, right? Because when you look at the style of play that he has, being a man coverage guy, being impressed, having to flip his hips, having to really accelerate fast, get into some good recovery speed and some long speed with guys to carry him up the sideline or over the middle or whatever it is in man coverage. Like he needs that. He has to check that box. But I'm not too worried about it. So
1: I'm with you there. My I, first guy. Running back 40s, I said, are overrated. Cornerback 40s are not. Definitely, <laughs> definitely not. Corner. you got to
0: be able to run as a cornerback. Uh, my first guy, it's probably who a lot of people believe that it's going to be. Uh, it's Drake London, the wide receiver from USC. This is my wide receiver one when we were going over the wide receiver episode. Man, I love Drake London. I think he's fantastic. And I think all eyes in the scouting world are going to be on Drake London when he lines up to do the 40-yard dash because – there are some people, shoot, John Ledyard, when we were having this conversation on the podcast yesterday, John thinks that that London's gonna run like high four sixes, maybe four sevens, dude. And like Really? I I mean, I, I, I do not see that with Drake London. I told is him he's gonna run. <laughs> it, right. I, I don't I don't know. I hope if he's he testing runs. in
1: four sevens, he's not running.
0: No, if he I mean if he's if he's running if he's running drills preparing for the combine and he's anywhere near the four sevens, he I mean he's not gonna run. We're not gonna see him run. But I I think Drake London's going to be like a high four fives guy. I really do. Like, I think he's going to be a, a four, five, eight. Wide I was going to say four, five, eight. And you know what? That's great. That's fine. I can check that box and I can move on and I can be happy with his tape. Now, if he does end up running like high four sixes or something like that, I got to rethink just how much I value this player. But as of right now, yes a lot of his tape is him making contested catches and not separating a ton but i think that some of that i don't want to say is by design because it's not like they're just like throwing him at defensive backs but well he's not over the do that <laughs> he's not over the middle nearly as much as he was early on in his career there are a handful of snaps you know early on when he was a freshman sophomore where they manufactured stuff to get the ball in his hands quick and let him get some stuff after the catch. And I think that he was decent at that. And I don't think Keaton Slovis has the best arm. So when when Drake London gets to go vertical, when he runs those nine routes up the sideline, I don't think Keaton Slovis is really leading him a ton. And I don't think Drake London thinks that's going to be the case anyway. So I don't really see him breaking away or 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 running as fast as he can i just think there's more in the tank for him and if there's not i got to reevaluate how good i think he could be but as of right now i think he's going to be a four fives guy high four fives guy but obviously i'm very much paying attention to him there because that'll go a long way into my wide receiver rankings with him as wide receiver one for me. Who's next
1: for you? Who's another guy that you're looking forward to watch? Just thinking about wide receivers, Garrett Wilson, because Garrett Wilson, like if Drake London runs, you know, Cortland Sutton ran a four five four, and and they have similar bodies. Sutton's heavier, but London might come in heavier than we expect. You know, if London runs that sub four six, it's it's fine. Garrett Wilson, to me, who I I love him as a player. If he just runs a four five, he's going to be fine. But it, you know, I think there's going to be. I think Garrett Wilson's the kind of player in this class, Trevor, that people are going to want so much out of him because they they he's in this conversation as top wide receiver. Then there's the conversation. Some people like his teammate Chris Olave even better. I think the way Wilson wins translates so well to the NFL that I am not putting a ton into his combine. Once again, it's kind of like the Sauce situation. Just don't bomb the combine. Mm. But I think the people that are going into this and wanting him to be a sub-4-4 four, four wide receiver at that size, and he's not the biggest guy, but he's also not really small, are gonna be a little disappointed. Once again, Garrett Wilson I see is that Calvin Ridley clone where the measurables and the testing is never going to jump off the charts, but there's so much polish and there's so much ability in terms of ball skills and wiggle and physicality after the catch that he's going to do his best work in pads and and he wouldn't be a guy it wouldn't surprise me if he is one of those guys that says i'll do most of my stuff at the pro date because i just need adequate numbers i have first round tape sure
0: no that makes sense i mean I, that's i would love for Garrett Wilson to just not bomb his combine. I'm totally with you. I think that's a great way to put it. Check all the boxes if we think you're going to check. You don't have to look like a superhuman athlete. Your tape shows that you could play really, really well. I had Calvin Ridley as my wide receiver one when he was coming out. So yeah, you you know, you've certainly got a lot of really great receivers who don't have to test really well when you are as polished as Garrett Wilson. So I agree with you there. Uh, I'm pushing back on your your running back 40 thing a little bit here with my second guy, but it's your RB1. It's Kyron Williams. And he's a player who I don't think he needs to run fast. He is good enough without putting up a good time in the 40, right? He has good enough tape out there. You like what he's been able to put out with the ball in his hand. You love what he's like as a blocker. You like the soft hands. You love the mentality. Notre Dame speaks incredibly highly of him. But if he happens to run a little bit faster than we mm. think he's going to, hello, then all of a sudden we go, okay, this guy's got the juice. You love so much more of what else you have here. And all of a sudden he goes from maybe like a fringe mid day two kind of a guy to it's like, you might see some teams say, screw it. Give me Kyron Williams near the top of the second round. I don't care. Like he gives you so much that you're really happy about. Cause I think that's where he, I think he's like a mid to late day two pick right now. But if he runs faster than we think he's going to run, which I don't know, do you think he's running in the four sixes? What do you think the Kyron Williams is going to do? I, I really don't know. Uh, yeah, I would see him run exactly a four six, honestly. So I, I mean, if he if he's running anything in the four fives, I'm like, right, hell yeah, baby, cool. let's do it. Let's draft him a lot higher. Remember on the running back episode that I said that I might rather have rather have Kyron Williams basically where you're going to get him than any other running back in this class. That gets even more true if he's able to run a little bit faster. So already think his tape is fine. If he runs four sixes, even high four sixes, fine. Like, I'm, I'm, I don't care. It's not like I'm dropping him from that. But my boy runs a little bit faster than we think. And we're cooking. We're cooking here. And the scouting report needs to
1: get updated a little bit. Man, I hope so. I think the running backs are so fascinating to watch. My my top three guys: Brees Hall, Kyron, and Spiller. I, I don't think they're combine heroes at all, and I mm-hmm. think it's just one of those things where you're going to rely on the tape. And you know, I know you really liked Algier a lot. I had him at RB four, and I, mm-hmm. I think he's a straight line speedster. I think this is going to help him a lot. So I do. I agree, Kyron. You're right. If he it's he everybody set the bar is so low for a straight line speed that he has a good chance to actually impress people. Yeah, right. <laughs> you're right. Sticking with my really ridiculous, uh, boring theme of like, just don't bomb the combine. Three for me is Trey McBride here that I wanted to talk about. I, I think McBride is not going to uh, run extremely well where once again, if you're a mid-tier tester, that's enough for you because on film, you are so good at the catch point. You can win the ball when covered. You are an adequate inline blocker. You are strong after the catch, ball skills, uh, an all-around threat. A guy that you can scheme open from the tight end position as we're seeing the league use those tight end slip screens, you know, dump offs or or crossers and everything short, possession kind of guy. So McBride, I think, you know, it's interesting to me. I think this tight end class has a lot of volatility in it where You know, if one of the athletes comes in and tests really well, is everybody going to jump on that bandwagon? And when I say athletes, I mean the guys that are true pass-catching types. You know, you look at uh, Dulcich from UCLA. You look at Isaiah Likely. I know some people do like him as a blocker, but let's Mm -hmm. be real. With that body type, he's a pass-catching first type of player. So if those guys come in and just look like great athletes at tight end— is everybody put it out of their minds, all the dirty work that guys like McBride and Rucker and even Widemeyer have done over the years, getting better on the line of scrimmage as blockers. That's kind of my beware with tight end testing. They just got to be adequate. I know I keep using that word over and over again, but it's so vital in this situation. Uh, you don't you're not going to get the Kyle Pitts of the world all the time. Sure. Right. No, I'm, t- I'm
0: I'm with you, man. I-, I want McBride to perform well. I think he's going to solidify tight end one cl- status in this class, even though he's not going to be an all world athlete. And look, I guess he's not going to be tight end one for everybody. I- I'm starting to see that a little bit more and more. Yeah. Like people are just going for more flashy, shiny he guys who are going to be me. a little bit higher in the uh pass catching category, but. I, I think I'm going to end up with McBride at number one, unless he yeah. truly bombs the combine, which I don't think that he's going to. I don't think he's going to. So I, I love his all around game too much for him to really be unseated as tight end. one. I think Who are you close now with, uh, yeah, last guy for me, Florida cornerback, Kyer Elam, you know, we talk a lot about corners. You mentioned sauce. We've talked Derek Stingley, you know, Trent McDuffie, uh, Andrew Booth, right? Like so many corners that I think have the chance to be high impact first round guys and Kyer Elam, I think he started out as a for sure first round guy with those way too early mock drafts back in like September and August and things like that. But I think that his name has just kind of been left by some guys that have been a little bit more flashy than him, but look, man, this is a six foot two, 195 and ninety-five-pound corner who gives you the length, the size, the physicality, the mentality to play man coverage. Got a lot of experience in press as well. You can tell that he's clearly comfortable and confident in that role. We know that teams are always coveting that because when you have a lot of guys who can play press man coverage, it allows you to play single high on the back end. You can get more versatile with how you use your safety. You've got an extra guy to play either as an over-the-middle defender or against the slot or helping the box linebackers right with that safety position but it starts with you've got to have the corners to be able to deploy that kind of a coverage. So Kyrie Elam, I think does a lot of things really well but does he for sure have that straight line speed? I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Can he run in the 4 fours? Because if he runs oh, the 4, four be fours, great for him. all of a sudden, like even high 4-4, four four, like I'm talking like if he just goes 4-4-8, four 4-4-9, four 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 like even right, right below 4-4-5, four four that is some serious money for him. I think that if that happens, he goes from not just a, a fringe first to second round prospect, I think he will be a first round prospect if he is able to run that kind of a time because you like a lot of the rest of his game and what he is able to bring. So he He's the uh, he's the last guy that I'm kind of really looking forward to
1: there. I really like his game because you look at the premium that's been placed on the corners in this class. Like if you want Stingley sauce and McDuffie, you got to use a top 15 pick. And then you get into this, you know, you have McCreary, you have Booth, you have Kyler Gordon, who's going to test really well at the combine up, but he'd be a huge riser from this. And then there's the forgotten man in Kyrie Elam that is so physical and just, you know, loves to get his hands on people. He's got the size profile where if he just runs well, like you said, Trevor, you're looking in the second round and you're going, man, I don't have to pay the premium, but I'm getting a guy that has shown flashes that he can be as good as those guys in the first round. I would buy in on that just because that program did not end the year well. Do not take that out on Kyrie Elam because full transparency, I came out of my summer watch and I thought Ky- Kyrie Elam had the best film I watched all summer and obviously sauce did things that surpass him. Stingley, obviously, is such a polarizing kind of player. McDuffie did things this year to pass him. But at the end of the day, don't discount that 2020 film. Kyrie Elam could be a great starter drafted on day two out of this draft. So
0: to end this podcast, we're going to get to some non-drill things that we're looking for for some of these players. We're going to give a couple of examples of players who we think are going to have some hives as well, some some new fans uh, moving forward after the combine. And then we'll give you this uh, some sort of parting fact or question that we have on the combine. Before we get to that, though, I've got to talk about our friends over at All-22. They're unveiling the newest fantasy football game and that hundreds of PFF employees have been playing. I myself did a draft with them to start this past season. And what it is is, All 22 It's a game that uses weekly PFF grades as one of its main scouting as main scoring components that tests your ability to build a full 53 man roster offensive line included. So it's basically like fantasy football, but the entire roster. So like you're getting scored, not just off of common stats, but off of PFF grades and how well these guys are playing. And it's a more, I think full process of drafting a really good team. If you've ever dreamt of sitting in an NFL front office if you enjoy the scouting process, you're going to want to check out uh, All 22. If you, you could join the waitlist right now at all 22.com with nothing more than your email. If you join the waitlist before the NFL draft, you'll get a special promo code for an All 22 subscription. Waitlist users will even gain access to premium content like the inaugural draft guides, in season strategies, all that stuff. Be sure to follow them at All22PFF on Twitter, less fantasy and more football it's a really fun game that i hope you guys check out i had the chance like i said to do the draft and it was a blast let's talk about some non-drill things that we're looking forward to at the combine i'll start i want to know what's up with Derek stingley's foot okay because it came out on monday ian Rappaport, (laughs) foot twitter i'm talking to you uh rex ryan shout out Rex, rex ryan i'm talking to you on Monday Ian Rappaport tweeted out that Derek Singley is not going to work out because he's still recovering from the foot injury that was something that he suffered before the 2021 season was able to play in three games this past year ended up having surgery for it so like the timeline of him not being able to work out like kind of makes sense but his injury was a Liz Frank foot injury and those aren't good Connor like some liz frank injuries can linger a long time even after you have surgery it can weaken the joints it can give you arthritis in your foot it can have pain that you just deal with for a really long time afterwards even when it's kind of like fully corrected liz frank injuries are tricky man and you mentioned it 40 yard dashes are really important for corner and the reason why is because you got to be an athlete to play corner especially if you're ever cb1 so I'm looking forward to hearing what a medical recheck might look like on Derek Stingley and what's going on with that foot injury because this is an injury that has an unfortunate track record of derailing a lot of careers or holding guys back from getting back to form of what they had before they suffered the injury. Now, that's not always the case, but I need to see it, man. I've got to see that on the medical recheck, and then the other one I think is Carson Strong's knee getting the full official medical recheck on Carson Strong's knee and how well it's performing after the the major surgery that he had about a year ago, um, whether it's going to be something that's going to linger with him, whether it's going to be something that's, a, that's a, a ticking time bomb, as we've maybe talked about on this podcast. It doesn't seem like that's the case. It seems like the guys that I've talked to, the type of surgery that he had a year ago means that he shouldn't have a lot of long-term setbacks. So I'm excited about that, but I hope I hear good news from him when we get to the combine. So those are two injury outlooks that I'm really, uh really interested in seeing uh, what the result is from those.
1: The list Frank thing scares me because not good, man. it's a foot injury that has a history of being long-term in not Stingley specifically, but in terms of impacting players and your cornerback where obviously that's just a no-go, you know, whenever I think of list Frank and here's some bias here, but I remember Santonio Holmes had a list Frank injury in 2012. He was 28 years old. And that was it. That was it. You're talking about somebody that has an infamous Super Bowl moment that yep. you know did so many great things from age 22 to 27. List Frank injury in 28, and that was it. It was over. And I know that's one guy, but that goes to show you the impact that a List Frank injury can have. And I'm not saying that'll be the end for Derek Stingley, but it is very significant to monitor. And it's not yep. significant to monitor in a. Can he run a 40? Great. He ran a 4.35. He's healed. It's a will that sustain pressure of an NFL lifestyle for a guy that lives to play in man coverage. That's what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. So that's a big one. He brought up strong. Uh, my injury question is, and I lean no at this point, does Jamison Williams even get an injury tax anymore? And what I mean by that is Jamison Williams was going in the top 15 before he got hurt. Everybody knew that. He, the speed the big playability difference maker in this class gets hurt. Everyone's like, okay, back of round one, early round two. I kind of look at this class as a whole, Trevor, and the way it's set up, you have the Eagles with three first round picks that might help Jamison Williams. The way this class is set up, I'm not even buying in that there's an injury tax with him anymore, mm. especially considering how fast he can come back. The kind of player he is in this draft where there's not another version of him you can get. So I want to know, coming out of the combine, will there be any kind of tax for Jamison Williams, or is it you better take him in the top twenty? That's where you would have had to take him even if he was healthy. It just right. doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that another storyline. I mean, that's that's a really good one of mine. Where Jamison Williams goes in this wide receiver class, I think will tell a great deal of just how many wide receivers we will get off the board in the first round, how quickly they go, because. I think that a lot's going to be hanging on in the balance because like once Jameson Williams goes off the board, I think probably a flood of other wide receivers goes off the board and you get to usher in that, okay, that tier three, tier, tier two, tier three, whatever you want to call this wide receiver class. But if it comes at 15, that's a lot different than it coming at 24 or something like that. So uh, where he goes, I think it's going to be fantastic. Fascinating. Obviously Kenny Pickett's hand is going to be a big deal. And look, you know, we had some people in the YouTube comments, From a couple, actually, it was it was from the show that I did with John because we were talking about Kenny Pickett's hands, and a lot of people were like, "Oh, like you're overblowing hand size." Like, remember when Joe Burrow had small hands? And look, I hear you guys, but we worried about Joe Burrow's hand size, and Joe Burrow had nine inch hands. Kenny Pickett reportedly has like eight and a fourth inch hands, which would be the smallest hand size, quite literally, ever. There's no been no quarterbacks in NFL history who have ever had that small of hand size. So it's not that I'm being a super stickler for hand size with quarterbacks. I do think it matters, but I often think it's a little bit overblown. This is different with Pickett. Like if he shows up with that small of hands, it's going to affect his draft stock, man. I'm just just telling you, like so many teams are going to have him like basically off their board. If Kenny Pickett comes in with like eight and a half or sub eight and a half inch hands, he's not getting drafted in the first round. And if he is, he's getting drafted at 32 by the Lions in the last pick of the first round. It's just and That's just the way that it is. So that's
1: obviously another storyline that I think is really important. It, well, now it's created this. If Kenny Pickett... Kenny Pickett's going to be a first-round pick, okay? Let's, let's get over that at this point. At least I've convinced myself that that's happening. I'm not saying I would take him in the first round, but I think he'll be a first-round pick. If Kenny Pickett does not pan out, are people going to go, well, that sub-9-inch hands... We we told you, and I'm not saying that'll be the reason he doesn't pan out, but this is a this is a true defining moment in terms of scouting, in a sense of if Kenny Pickett does hit, will anybody ever care about hand size again, ever again? Sure. I don't know, <laughs> but it, this does matter sure, right, right now. Right. Yeah. Uh, all right. One more for me. Non-drill things I'm looking for. What what the George Pickens experience, right? Like, what where is this guy gonna go? What is he gonna do? And the drills do matter, obviously, for George Pickens a lot. But I want to know what it's going to be like for the teams to sit down with George Pickens and go, sure. man, yeah. we know you've been banged up, and we're not going to hold that against you. But when, when you're on and we watch your film, we see you punishing guys as a blocker. We see you winning down the field at your size. We see you finding the football for spectacular catchability. Why were you not a focal point of George's offense? And we just, we're not holding that against you. We want to know, was there an identity and you were just like, I'm a team player. I want to win a natty. I'll do whatever I have to do. I don't have to be the dude quarterback limitations, whatever you want to say. But the George Pickens experience to me is, and I think you said this when we did wide receivers, but if you take George Pickens best, you know, three plays and put them up against anybody in the class. It holds. It's it's right there Mm -hmm. with anyone. But why wasn't besides injuries? Yep. Why wasn't he a megastar? And maybe you say, hey, you left early. Is part of that because you know there's more meat on the bone for you at the NFL level in an NFL system with an NFL quarterback? Right. So George Pickens, to me, man, I am fascinated to see how high can he go. Are these things he can answer? And I want to ask teams. I want to ask offensive coordinators. I want to ask guys. Man, what like what did you come away with with your George Pickens interview and yep. medicals, of course, for him as well? Mm-hmm. No,
0: I think that that's it's paramount. I think we're gonna we will learn a lot. For as much as I like George Pickens, obviously, as I had him at wide receiver two when we were doing our wide receiver rankings here um, a couple a couple weeks ago, we're gonna figure out what the NFL I think actually thinks about George Pickens this weekend. Because I, th- oh, yeah. I think that he's not going to be a topic that's brushed over. I think a lot of people are going to be wanting to talk about him. I think he's going to test well. And with that, I think we're going to have a lot of answers of, okay, is this guy, does he, does he have first-round potential? Or is it like, no, nah, NFL's not touching him for some reason until day two. That we'll get to figure out at the Combine. Um, before we get out of here, who are some players who will gain a hive or a following, a much bigger following, after this weekend it doesn't have to be a totally unknown guy but who do we think is just going to show up in one drill or a couple of drills or something that everybody is just going to absolutely love after combine week
1: all right so i got one super under the radar one you know mid-tier the diehard draft fans will know him and then one everybody knows so i'll start with the, the obvious Traylon burks to me i love him wide receiver one I see so many people thinking he is slow. I don't know why. He ran away from Alabama's defense. Oh, he dude. makes big plays down the field. This guy he's might he's run a 4 3. This guy might run a 4 3. I think, depending how he shaped his body, and he's a weight room mammoth, he's always been that way at Arkansas. I think he, depending, if he comes in at 223, I know he played around 230, 225. If he comes in at 223, he's going to be 6 2 plus. I think he's going to run really well, Trevor. And I think people are going to have the, not maybe DK moment, but the closest thing to that DK moment where they're like, oh my God, what have we been missing with this freak show? Right. How good could it be been at a bigger, even a bigger program, obviously elevated Arkansas. So I'll start with Traylon Burks. Uh, welcome aboard everyone. Traylon Burks, wide receiver one. Let's have some fun. Uh, you want to just run through
0: the other two and yeah, then I'll run do it. through my three?
1: Yeah. At running back Jerome Ford, I, I talked about how 40s don't this matter, good but, if you are looking for a home run hitter, right, your number two or number three running back, your change of pace guy, there's not a lot of that in this class. And I think Jerome Ford does offer breakaway speed as much as, you know, I did the whole 40 thing. You do talk about breakaway speed or the lack thereof in scouting reports. And Jerome Ford does not lack breakaway speed. He has that home run gear. I think this is a great chance for him to show it off. He shown it off on film a lot. You know, obviously transferred from Alabama to Cincinnati, had a really good year. Now he gets to go to the combine track and and show everybody, hey, I am a little unique in this running back class. The last one for me, the senior bowl crowd knows him, but now the world will know him. Joshua Williams, obviously not a D1 player. Love uh, it. Love used, it. You know, I know we didn't have an HBCU player drafted last year. That trend is is not going to remain this year for yeah. sure. How 100%. high can Joshua Williams go? I've talked to people that have gotten to see him work out since the senior bowl, and they're like, man, this guy next to all the the D1, Power 5, top program guys does not look out of place. He looks just as good or better. He is an athlete. He is long, fast, quick. Joshua Williams, man, go get your money. Have yourself a combine. Show everyone that you're real. I think I would love to see him sneak into day two. I would love it. I, man, I, he's somebody who remember I highlighted after day one of the senior bowl,
0: man, I was impressed. I was really impressed with the confidence that he was able to play with the athleticism. He was able to show from the jump of the senior bowl. So I think that's a great shout out there. Okay. My first guy, Kyler Gordon the cornerback from Washington. I think he's often thought of as the other corner opposite Trent McDuffie, but Kyle Gordon's really good, man. I think that a lot of people are looking at this cornerback class and they see sauce and Stanley and McDuffie. And, and like I said, like higher Elam and Andrew Booth and so many guys at the top of this cornerback class that I think they probably say to themselves, okay, if Trent McDuffie is a top 15 pick at corner, there's no way that, another corner from Washington is going to be a first round corner, right? Because it, because if that was the case, I would have heard about Washington. I'm telling you, Kyler Gordon could very well be another first-round pick here oh, from yeah. Washington, and I think that he's going to put on a show athletically at the Combine. You see so much explosiveness from him. Now, sometimes I think he's a tick behind, right? I think you, when you watch his tape, you go, okay, he's more reactionary than he is anticipatory right now, but he's got the athleticism to where if his prediction on where the ball's going and where the wide receivers break breaking, if that film work, gets better with him he has the tools to be a true shutdown corner i really do believe that he's gonna put on a show athletically and i think that a lot of people are gonna talk about this dude as a bona fide first rounder after this week my next guy brandon smith from penn state now i didn't love brandon smith's tape i think he's more athlete than anything else right now but this is a former five-star player who came into penn state and he continued this Penn State trend of having some workout warrior, just freakish athletic traits. Apparently he ran a 4-3-8 in high school. We know that Penn State only makes you more athletic with their strength and conditioning program. And so I think that this is an inside linebacker who, when he tests through the roof, which I think is going to be possible for him, you're going to see, start to see a lot of people. In a linebacker class that's very I, I'm uncertain, feels like the wrong word, just not set right there's there's a lot of guys that i think people kind of like but there's nobody who's like fully set in tiers of where these linebackers are people are gonna start to be like holy cow look at brandon smith if i gotta take a chance on any of these guys on day two i'm gonna take a chance on him i'm gonna bet on his coverage ability i'm gonna bet on his speed i'm gonna bet on his size all that kinds of stuff so i think when he has a couple of blazing athletic tests he's gonna definitely rise up the board then another guy alec pierce the wide receiver from cincinnati I was a little disappointed in Alec Pierce at the senior bowl. I thought he would stand out a little bit better. You know, when you look at Bruce Feldman's freak list, he says on there that Alec Pierce has an 11 foot broad jump and a 40 inch vertical jump. That would be nuts. I think there are a lot of people who like him as a jump ball, big receiver I think some people, I think his stock's a little bit quiet right now, but I think people are really going to lean into some of those good plays, those great plays that he has as an outside jump ball wide receiver when he shows that explosiveness again in both of the jumping drills. And so I think that a big takeaway is a lot of people are going to go, hmm, third, fourth round mock draft simulator. I'm going to take Alec Pierce, and I think you're going to see a lot more of those after combine week.
1: Man, uh, SEO cheat code just compare alec pierce to cooper cup <laughs> don't <laughs> not
0: gonna do it i'm not gonna do it i'm um, just yeah, not gonna do it Will. <laughs> yeah so, somebody will and you know what your reward is some fantastic seo points as connor said enjoy the clicks my friends all right final thing parting takeaway my parting takeaway uh, i'm stealing uh, some some shine from your guy Traylon burks please uh, I, I read this a couple of weeks ago the man might show up with 11 inch hands which if you go to mock draftable and you sort wide receivers 11 inch hands would be the tied for the biggest hand size of any wide receiver since 1999 so I think right now I think Bruce Feldman had Traylon Burks at having like 10 and 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 what is it? Three quarters. Three, yep, quarters three quarters, I think, is what it was, inch hands. But, hey, look, if he, gets the, if he gets the Brandon Allen hand masseuse in there and he gets to stretch those bad boys out a little bit, maybe we can get to 11. Maybe we could tie the record. But, dude, outside of him just being big, strong, and fast, those that dude's got some mitts to him. And I thought that that was a good parting takeaway here.
1: If you're Kenny Pickett, how much do you pay for three quarters <laughs> of Traylon Burks' hands? Come on, man. Traylon Burks goes down to 10 inches, which is still really good for wide receivers. And Kenny Pickett gets up to nine inches. Uh, I don't know if it works out like that, but you know, maybe
0: it's just like a like a like it's like a like a big kid on the playground putting a small kid on, on to top about. of his shoulders. You know, something yeah, you to think about, don't. Kenny Pickett.
1: <laughs> All right, so my parting my parting shot is. Is Aiden Hutchinson really going to run a post-sub-663 cone like an alien? And I I remember Quiddy Pays, you know, rumored 3-cone last year. So these Michigan guys, there's something in the water. What they're doing in the weight room is unbelievable. Uh, What they're doing to get their bodies right and get, you know, bigger, faster, stronger, but also lean and quicker. I know Hutchinson's done that during his time at Michigan. I don't need a sub-663 cone, Aiden Hutchinson. That would be absolutely uh, an alien. But it would be huge for a guy that's going to come in. As all, he's going to, you know, get knocked down a little. The whole arm length thing is going to be a combo with him. But if you just show, hey, I'm too quick and he's too quick on tape. So it's perfect. I think Aiden Hutchinson, man, uh, you don't need a historic three cone. But if it's elite, really, really good. Like the rumors, like you said, I, I'm pulling this from a Feldman Facts as well. Feldman is the earliest way to get numbers on these guys because he's dialing into the school and how they're testing them. Aiden Hutchinson, you don't really need to do much right now, but it would still be really cool if you sh- if you show the kind of athlete you are in, in terms of that short area quickness.
0: So many eyes are going to be on Aiden Hutchinson for sure. so many reasons. And if he kills a three cone, obviously that's only going to help him in his quest To go number one over one. There we go. Those are some of the storylines that we are fascinated by, paying attention to going into Combine Week. Obviously, we have a day off on Wednesday before we get to another podcast on Thursday. And on Thursday, Thursday is the day that the drills and on-field athletic tests begin. For I think it's quarterbacks, running backs, and is it offensive line? Is that or I think are they together? The way it's broken up, they have changed it a little bit, but Thursday is the day it starts, and so for Thursday's podcast, which we're going to be recording obviously Monday, Wednesday evening, Connor and I are going to do a combine superlative draft. What we are going to do is we are going to be drafting from all of the different position groups who we believe is going to draft the or who's going to run the fastest 40 jump the highest bench the most have the best three cone all of that we're going to be doing that for every single position and we're going to make a game out of it too what we're going to do is we're going to be of course trying to choose who's going to perform best in the position we'll score it if we end up picking the guy who's literally the best of their group we're going to get three points if we just pick better than uh than the other person we're going to get one point so obviously we're going to keep scoring you know maybe we'll put something on line right yeah. we, we gotta have a friendly wager to it as well so we'll be doing that we'd love to hear from you guys as well that's going to be a fantastic show it's going to give us a chance to cover the combine and who we think is going to be the top performers in all of those categories at every single position that is coming thursday we've got so much combine news to cover until then connor j rogers on twitter at tampa bay tray on twitter follow us we're going to be covering it wall to wall from tuesday to sunday make sure you check it out we will see you guys on thursday